Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the Hall of Fame voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 48 here on the Boilerball Podcast. And as always, a reminder to our fans that you can reach us at boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. We always enjoy listening to or hearing from people that uh, listen to this podcast. So if you get a chance, drop us a note and uh, we'll try to uh, answer some of those in future podcasts. Our special guest today on episode 48 is assistant coach Greg Gary. And gee, I, I was looking up your stuff today and I can't believe it's been eight years now. Oh, it's I, I, every time I tell people it's been eight, they go, really? And it's, and it's kind of funny too. At times I'll, they'll go, where do, where do you, like fans will be, right. um, do you coach? What, what do you you work here? <laughs> so yeah, I've been here eight years, and the response is, "Wow, I didn't know that." That's been amazing. Eight years. Um, so I wanted to get in a little bit. Uh, we'll start kind of with your um, roots in basketball. Uh, an Indiana native, grew up uh, in Anderson, and um, talk a little bit about uh, kind of growing up in Anderson and what your upbringing was like. It was uh, quite the experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything, just because of. Uh, you know, we, we you love basketball in Indiana. Friday, Saturday nights, that's what you did. You, you didn't do anything else right. except go to a right. game. If you didn't have one on Saturday, you went to somebody else's. Um, and so it, it's just kind of the way I grew up. I had two older brothers uh, that, that both played. And being from Anderson, uh, it was it was very competitive with Highland, Madison Heights, and obviously the, the Indians. Uh, so it was just a Boy, there was nothing like it, and people that don't didn't experience it. It's hard to explain to them, you know, the the Anderson, just how much craziness there was about basketball. Right. I mean, we we had six thousand seat arena and four thousand season ticket holders. You know, we had a locker room that was, I mean, you know, not like the metal lockers. I mean, it was a locker room that had a a Coke machine in it. You didn't have to put any money in it. You just hit the button and, <laughs> and, a, and a Coke that's a, that, would come. That's yeah. a big deal now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In high school, that is a huge deal. Wow. Yeah, the, uh, obviously the in Anderson, the wigwam, and you know, to people who have grown up in this state, um, just an icon, iconic place in basketball and kind of one of those uh, temples or churches that people talk about that, uh, that when you went, it was kind of a happening and um, – I, I know that uh, Doug Griffiths, who used to work for Golden Black, he's an Anderson grad, and he would always talk about Anderson and game night and what it was like walking up. And he used to oh, talk yeah. about when he came to Purdue, he used to take his college buddies to go see a game there, and he'd say, well, I have to call and get tickets. And they looked at him crazy like, you're kidding me. Oh, the wigwam was, was amazing. That And that to this day, they had a pregame ritual you know, sometimes that, that kind of, and a lot of people, it did bother and intimidate, but, and, and a lot of time, we didn't go out for it, but I would see it before watching my brothers play. I, I, it jacked me up so much. I mean, it was really just an unbelievable experience and kind of got the juices flowing. And there are so many times I won't give me specific names, but the, I mean, it happened where we lost and this wasn't when I played, this is when my brothers played, we lost a game to Anderson and one of the kids on our team in Highland made a mistake that he thought cost him the game. After the game was over, in his jersey in the middle of the winter, he ran home. He didn't even wait on the bus. <laughs> Larry, did you ever get to a game in, in, at the Wigwam? No, but I have a great story on the uh, Wigwam. Norm Held, their coach uh, back in the 80s, 
uh, was well known, and um, and of course their program was, uh, you know, pinnacle of of the programs in the state of Indiana. Of course, in Indiana, basketball was king, and this is in the '80s, and we had a great, great uh, alum of Anderson High and uh, Troy Lewis, who stays at the pinnacle at the number one position of my all-time favorite players i'd like to say with Conzo martin being at number two <laughs> yeah, uh, when, yeah. People, when 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 people want to know that but uh, uh troy was just a tremendous tremendous spoiler maker and 2000 point score and we had norm held on the coaches show and this and is it the, was the tv show right the tv show okay. uh, coach gene katie show and uh and we're taping this thing at 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Norm, we're asking him all kinds of questions. It's a great show. And uh, we head on out, go home, and we're done for the weekend. And I'm sitting at home and about ready to go to bed and get my night clothes and hop in the bed. And I get a phone call from Coach Katie. And Coach Katie <laughs> says, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He says, we're not allowed to interview Coach Norm Held <laughs> on our coaches' shows. I said, you can't do that. So you got to come back. We've got to do another show. <laughs> and I said, oh. you're kidding me. Come on, man. Like, what? Are you going to pay me actually? Shut up. Just get back here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I always remember remember that moment and always remember the, the tie-in to Anderson that way. But, no, i never been to uh, the Wigwam and – they say it's just legendary. Just legendary. I should have. I should have figured out a way to do that over time, but did. But uh, now, when you I, had when you had coach on, was Troy already committed? Were we recruiting him? How? Where were we at in that process? No, uh, Troy was already uh, on our team. Okay. Okay. And uh, and we were just uh, interviewing his high school coach, his famous high school coach, and we thought that that was legitimate, but. No, you're not allowed to. You weren't allowed to do that. Well, rules were a lot more lax back then, but apparently not in that regard. So, <laughs> no, we did. we certainly didn't have a clue. <laughs> so, but gee, you did not go to Anderson. You went to Highland. Anderson Highland, yeah. yeah. And, yes. Uh, and so, your older brothers play. Um, did you pretty much have the bug to start playing as soon as you saw them? Yeah, I I, I have old pictures of when I was Nash and my four year old. I was I was four or five years old. And I would always wear my brother's shoes, his jersey, and you know. So I just that's what we did. Uh, just kind of having older brothers like that, you always look up to, and you just that's kind of what I was into. And and at an early age, was able to to get really really good coaching, and that that's what helped me. I, obviously, athletically and all that stuff, I might not have been as good, but just the the coaching I had growing up. I wish my kids would be able to get it as consistent as I did. Because uh, it makes such a tremendous difference. Now, knowing what older brothers do, and I'm an older brother, so <laughs> so I'm assuming that you caught a lot of help from your older brothers, just whether it would be you know games in the driveway or just everyday life around the house. Oh, uh, we we had uh, uh, right behind our garage. We had obviously a driveway, but it was my dad extended it um, and had a goal there, and then we even had a goal in the barn. Um, where we would we would spread the hay and the straw out yeah. to the side and put the goal up on the barn and oh there were so many times I got abused uh, <laughs> playing 21 where a lot of times you get the basketball and you go yeah. back out and then one guy hands it to you 
Well, at, when I the first time I did it, I I get a, get the ball, so I'm excited to get it. I walk out, you know, by, behind the free throw line, and then all of a sudden I turn around and hand it to one of my brothers, Jeff. Well, now Mark is there too, so they're both playing me. I'm one on two, and I have no chance. Uh, so that happened several times, and and just being uh, down in the basement, we had a ping pong table. Uh, it's pretty fun. I mean, I just got to, to be honest with you, I got abused. <laughs> we played. The loser had to take their shirt off, and you had to, and the the winner has a chance to hit a ping pong ball right at him. You got to stand there and take it. So. So who knows if my mom, my mom didn't really know a whole lot of that until it got out of hand and I'd run up and start crying and asking her for some help. But yeah, it, it was very entertaining, but probably made me a little tougher than, than what I would have. So at what age did you start figuring out that uh, not only obviously you're playing basketball, but maybe you were starting to be a, become a little bit better than maybe some of your peers? Uh, I w- third grade, I was on the grade school team um, and actually made the team and, and – uh, so that's, I think, when I, I mean, I remember, I remember doing a lot of running drills. Our coach did a lot of running, and I remember uh, the sixth grader, first time we ran, and we call it the mush drill, where you run around the, the, the uh, run around the court, and the last person's got to catch the, oh, yeah, the yeah. front of the line. So it's yeah. a line of 15 kids. And so we have to, you just keep going until everyone gets a turn where they got to run around at the front. And the sixth grader, he was kind of a bigger kid, he just, he was probably out of shape a lot, and he ended up just, like, quitting and pulling over the side. So that was my first time. I'm like, man, this is this is real. Like, this is a real practice. So I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think that's when I realized. I know it sounds kind of crazy being that early, but I was just exposed to it so early, and that's what I wanted to do. So you you did you figure then you wanted to coach too or you just too, too locked in? No no I didn't I third, no I didn't want to I at the, no chance that I know I wanted to coach then it's just uh, a matter of when I went through it and went in college and realized that that you know it was something that I that I enjoyed doing was coaching it, it didn't happen that early for coaching. So as you get older then um, working your way up and everything through middle school and that kind of stuff um, what's your what's your thought your recollections then of just as you get to high school and, and that whole process uh, it, it was again my, my brothers did an unbelievable job in preparing me and my mom and dad and uh, being in Anderson it's, it's such a big deal to play basketball so I got exposed to you know being able to to handle that. Um, and I just always thought it was interesting because both my brothers played Division One, and I I'd been starting since I was a freshman, so I thought, man, this is that's what I'm going to do. Right. And and I had good years, and then all of a sudden, uh, my senior year, I go to nobody's really recruiting me. Some people came in, Naval Academy that wasn't for me at the time, um, didn't interest me too much, and so nobody else was really coming in. So University of Tampa came in. Um, he had, the head coach there had previously coached my oldest brother at Vanderbilt. So he came in, took me on a visit at an unbelievable visit down in Tampa. Um, and after the visit, like, this is where I want to go. And then coach Schmidt calls and says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to call you on Sunday night and we'll let you know, you know, whether or not we're going to offer you a scholarship or not. So I get the call Sunday night and he says, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to offer you a scholarship. So I'm like stuck. I was crushed because I really wanted to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, but after that, I didn't have anything. So I'm like, what in the heck am I going to do? Um, so my brother Jeff, who lived in Nashville, uh, I spoke to him. He spoke to one of his assistants at Vanderbilt, 
and he says, hey, tell him to come down here to this junior college in Nashville, get a year of experience, get some more exposure, and see what happens. So I end up going to Nashville at Aquinas Junior College, never visited it, didn't see it one time besides my first trip down there to start start, wow. start working and start uh, school. Yeah, it had three buildings. It had uh, the gym. It had a vending machine, like a lounge area, and then an administration building where all the uh, – all your classes were and that's that's all it was was three buildings wow yeah so it ended up being a pretty cool uh you know experience because we had a really good year that year and and end up seeing uh, going to a tournament in new orleans where tulane uh was there to watch me my cousin and my uncle both played at tulane so they gave the coaches a heads up hey you need to maybe go look at go look at this kid and so they did it was a three-day tournament and played well and they came back to watch another game and then offered me. So it was pretty pretty quick, you know, wow. uh, decision. Just yeah, because yeah. I knew I knew Tulane and I knew my cousin and my uncle both went there. And it's a great academic school, so I didn't want to deal with the same recruiting stuff that I did in high school. So it worked out good. Did your brothers play with you in high school? Were you guys on the same team? They were already gone. Yeah, they were. They were gone. They were gone. So I got to say that um, you go to Nashville and then New Orleans. Um, safe to say that those two two cities are a little different than Anderson. <laughs> so, was that a, was that an eye opening uh, experience living it, in both those cities? It was an eye opening one, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And and I tell people all the time, and I know now as parents, you want your kids to kind of stay close. But I'm, it was such a great experience for me to get exposed to different cultures, different people, uh, just to get me out of my shell. Right. You know, growing up a farm in a farm in Indiana, I mean, it is, right. you know, it's a little bit different than I remember. I I actually drove myself from Anderson to New Orleans, and uh, at the time, my assistant coach uh, Ron Everhart was there as assistant. He uh, he says, "Hey, we got you set up with a job. We got you set up for the apartment. You know, just come on down." So I drive all night. I get in about four o'clock in the morning, and uh, it's obviously early there are no lights on hardly in the house i'm pulling up to the address and i get out well it's it's the middle of july and it's i thought it'd be somewhat cool at 4 a.m in the morning but it is so hot there yeah so right. i so i'm very nervous i'm really literally by myself so i knock on the door and wait a while for about five minutes no one answers knock again all of a sudden i hear a light come on or see a light come on and then the door opens and it's this big six five six six 300 pound looks like a lineman and he's looking at me like who in the hell are you <laughs> so i told him i said hey coach Everard, basketball team decided uh he went this is where i'm supposed to be staying he goes what he goes i didn't know anything about that he goes <laughs> he was happy yeah he was real happy so he goes but you can crash on the couch if you want to for a little while until you can get over to the to the office the next morning so i end up doing it get up and early in the morning go over to coach Everhart and say hey coach he didn't have any idea that I was living there and he goes what so he gives me the the whole deal and he gives me says give me a day to figure this out um so I do that and figures it out and I end up staying there well he goes I also got you a job and I go cool but you know because then you really you work to get some money at least back then right uh, during the summer and and so you at least that's what we did so it was a I said, all right, go. Where is it? And he goes, well, it's down at the, uh, it's down at the prison. I go, okay. 
<laughs> and he, I go, what am I going to be doing? He goes, I don't know. Go down and see so-and-so, and we'll, we'll get your paperwork, and we'll get it all figured out. Well, next day I go to work early in the morning, meet with the guy. My job is to serve the food to the prisoners. I mean, it was a, it was the craziest thing. And here I am. I'm, I walk in. I've got, you know, I dress pretty nice because I didn't know what I was going to be doing. So all of a sudden, I'm delivering this food to these guys, and they're just, they're giving me a, a hard time, whistling and saying all kinds of stuff. So I lasted about a half day, and I said, Coach, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only do you go from Anderson to New Orleans or Nashville to New Orleans, but then to be thrown right in that mix, and not having i mean it's so different now i mean think about when kids come on visits now and you get everything lined up like when we have kids on visits they they go and see where they live you know we show them all that and and a lot of times we're doing that for parents primarily because the parents want to know where everybody you know where their kids staying and and all that stuff and here you are just go right down into <laughs> into a situation where they just get told hey go over here and this is where you're living a little different from what we do nowadays um Talk about Tulane, the program, because you you went in and it was a little a bit of a unique circumstance um, because they had been, um, the program has actually dropped um, prior to you getting there. So kind of explain that background. Yeah, they, they had had the death penalty for five years uh, for, a, for a, a gambling situation. Uh, so Dr. Eamon Kelly came in and he just decided to ban the program for five years. So my class that I came in with as a as a sophomore my first year at Tulane that year we they were able to sign 12 guys in one class um, they had been there as a staff the previous year just to be able to go recruit and figure out who they wanted to get but they couldn't sign anybody until that next year so we end up signing 12 guys um, which you look back at now it's pretty amazing and and uh, Perry Clark was the head coach there. Ron Everhart was assistant. Um, uh, Billy Kennedy was assistant. Um, Todd Bozeman was assistant. I look back now; those guys were like 26 years old. I mean, they were re- yeah, wow. they were really really young. Um, so, the first year was a boy. It was a we got drilled. We won four games. Went four and 24. But I always tell people that that was probably I don't know if it was the funnest, but it was I learned the most. Learned how to learned how to practice and play hard. Um, even though we got our brains beat in quite a few times, we we end up beating a, a ranked team the first year, um, beating Memphis, and then the second year. So we go four and twenty-four, and then the second year we go fifteen and thirteen, which was one of the biggest turnarounds in college basketball as far as wins and losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third year, my senior year, we end up going twenty-two and nine, winning the Metro Conference. Uh, at that time, which was Louisville, Florida State, Memphis, Southern Miss, Virginia Tech. I know VCU, I might be missing a couple other ones. And we go to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history in a matter, wow. in a matter of three years and, and win the first round game um, against St. John's. And that, really? uh, yeah, against St. John's. That was the last uh, game that Louis Carnesecca ever coached. Wow. Uh-huh. Do you remember that run they made, Larry? To get to the yeah, tournament? yeah, yeah. That was a pretty big deal. Yeah, they did unbelievable. Our, our our staff and you know we talk about promotions and stuff. We we had a really deep, really good team, uh, and that's where the our coach came up with the posse. 
which was the second five. And we would press a lot. We would run. We were fun to watch. Matter of fact, one of my teammates sent me a text yesterday of an old YouTube film of that last season. And there were so, I mean, I look at it. We were, we were pretty athletic and pressed and there was a bunch of dunks and I can't remember nowadays that many dunks happening, but it was a, it was a great experience. And, uh, being able to, to go through that was, was it ended up working out really good for me. You know, now, wait a second. Now, AG, now, uh, just for my own verification, now, like, like the whole team was dunking like you too. I mean, because like, you know, I want to, because I want to, I want to see that in my mind. How I do that? You out on a fast break and uh, wow. Hey, the yeah. only the only time I did that was an inter squad game, and the and there's one picture of it that I that I'm like jumping from way out. They didn't finish the picture, but it looks like I'm going to just hammer it. What oh, actually yeah. happened was I hit the back of the rim and it went like the half court. But I tell people all the time that I was I was throwing that one down. But yes, you're correct, Cliz. Not the whole team. It was a. I was, it was, it was, I, I was not involved in that. I was six three in high school and and I I could dunk, but I had to have stickum on my hands. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't palm the basketball good enough, and and luckily enough for us, I actually got a photograph of the only time I dunked in a real game and I have it, which is like really, really cool because you can say, you know, right. Quite, quite obviously clears you, you were a dunking machine. No, I did it one time in my career and I got it on, I got it on tape. Just like, just like the only hole in the one I ever got in golf, we had it photographed uh, by a camera at TV 18. So I get lucky occasionally. Hey, the fact that that got photographed in those days, when how many games were getting photographed not many oh yeah i'd say i'd say uh, and this is a slick black and white uh photo uh photograph of me and and it's quite obviously you can see my feet off the ground and i couldn't jump at all why and, haven't i seen it, this before i think i did show it once time uh, you, you, you and you and you and paint do what you normally do who cares <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thank, I, thank you for showing us that, Cliz. But uh, we're not really impressed. Uh, I averaged twenty-eight points a game in in, uh, in high school, and uh, Elliot had forty-six points in one game. So, so I don't want to see you dunking. I need. We need to get a photo of that. When you see that photo next, take a picture on your phone and send it to me. We'll put it up on the. Uh, we'll, we'll, okay, cool, we'll put cool. it out on the. The Twitter sphere and let uh, I, I got to figure look. out where that I got to figure out where that photo is. The thing's probably been eaten up by uh, mice or something in my storage locker. But well, that gives you a good little project to work on this week. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Close. Does it well, show your face? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I mean, you kind of see me. You kind of see. I have a. I wore glasses. Had short hair. And you wore goggles you or glasses? Back. Uh. Glasses, I think. Oh, I was hoping for the Kurt Rambis look from you. <laughs> it might, it might, it might have been those rubber uh, stops. In there. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I remember. I remember specifically showing you and paint that that one picture, and you both looked at me like, "Come on." Man. I, I think I remember that, but I, I mean, I'm, come on, man. What, what are you doing to us, man? Like, come on. Like, uh, I'm far I, more impressed now than I and, was. And G then. knows that. G knows that those guys would kill me like that. So. No question about it. Well, yeah. Well, I we need to we need to bring that back up and, and find that. 
but but you remember that Tulane team, and I've I've since I've known G. I mean, I've heard about that team, and obviously then um, your relationship with your head coach um, Perry Clark um, comes into play down the road because when you talk us through, then you when you leave Tulane, you you've gone to the tournament, you're kind of put the program on the map which led to bigger things for for the head coach too as well right and it, it, it's after i graduated we had a we had a really good situation at tulane we had uh uh if you were a graduating senior and if you scored well enough on your lsat test which is a uh, entry a test to get into law school um, and your grades were good enough, they would give, this is just for men's basketball, you would get a, a complete scholarship, three-year scholarship for law school. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an unbelievable you know, situation. And so that year after I graduated, um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of this. Right. And I might as well and, and stay here and, and get my law degree. So um, and I've got a couple ex-teammates that are current lawyers now. but So I did that for a year, and boy, I went through that, and I said, this is not me. I, I, <laughs> I did not like it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so after that first year of law school, I finished it, and then at the time they had a restricted earnings position available at, uh, at Tulane, and so Coach Clark asked me if I wanted to do that, and I said absolutely I'd love to so I end up making 12 grand a year doing that for four years at 12 grand a year um, and then so and then after that went to McNeese State as my first full-time assistant the head coach at the time was Ron Everhart who was assistant that recruited me gotcha um, so I did that for one year and then someone left Tulane and I had an opportunity to go back as a recruiter for uh, for coach Clark at that time and we did well and that led to uh, us going to University of Miami um, so that that uh, Coach Clark is um, indebted for him forever because he really gave me an opportunity and and taught me an awful lot and and you know he's one of those guys that I still talk to all the time and um, it, it's been a great situation. Well, when you guys went to Miami, I mean, you went there and had success, made the NCAA tournament in '02. Um, was that from a coaching standpoint? Was that eye-opening, um, kind of going up a notch and go, getting to Miami? I mean, Miami's probably not what it is now in terms of the ACC, but still, it was it a was it a pretty significant step up from Tulane? Uh, it it it's, it was I don't know significant just because even at Tulane, the old Metro, we had I mean we're playing against Louisville, Florida yeah. State, you know Memphis, Penny Hardaway, Virginia Tech, Bimbo Coles. I mean every team we played. Yeah. had a pro on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, some good teams. Yeah, some good teams. Now, the difference when I moved to Miami, the teams now, you might have two pros. Or, you know yeah, what I mean? So, right, right. So there was, it, there was a step up for sure. Uh, and and Syracuse, I remember playing them at the time. Um, they had they had a tremendous team. Uh, Mello was a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, they had two or three pros. And so, national champs. Or yeah, national freshman. champs, absolutely. Yeah. McNamara was their point. They had Akeem Warwick as their center. Uh, we did a pretty good job on Mello, but Akeem Warwick just wore us out. But, uh, yeah, it was a step up because now you're adding another pro usually. Mm-hmm. Where'd you play Where'd you play at Miami when you were there? We played what, on what the, the facility that they're in now. They had just, mm-hmm. they had just opened it uh, that first year we were there. And it, it wasn't completely finished. They they finished it and made it cosmetically look a lot better. Any any. 
decent crowds or uh yeah the opener was north carolina oh there you go so that that was a that was a that was a really you know sellout uh but there's so many things to do in miami it's a it's right. a difficult situation um because there's so many things to do it's not always about basketball down in miami miami is not uh, was not in the acc when i was uh, at duke and we so we didn't play there it's one of the few campuses I haven't been on. And I, I always hope that we go there in the ACC Challenge. I was, I thought this might have been the year, and I was really bummed when I saw we were going back to Florida State. But uh, uh, I was really hoping we would draw the Hurricanes this year. Well, yeah. we, played them a, we played them a couple of times back um, in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, and, and they were kind of known as a team that had to find a place to play. Right. And they would have talent. They would have talent and be able to do some things. And they were a good uh, competitive team, but they just didn't seem to have a place to call their own. And that was the knock on them. And most guys didn't want to go there because, hey, you don't have a you don't have a gymnasium. You don't have a coliseum to play in, you know. Yeah, they played in American Airlines, I think, a couple times. A funny story, actually, when I was at Tulane, uh, playing, we played at Miami, mm. and we had a big center from Illinois, seven foot one. He he came in; he was a junior college kid. Uh, they all said, you know, the assistant coaches said, "Oh, he's going to be really good." Let the country and rebounding, and um, as a junior college kid, and he came in, and he was just I mean, he was he was okay, but not the rebounder you would think he would be. Anyway, we play at Miami, and we really play bad and get beat. Well, Joe Joe's the center. And he's very, I mean, he's got a great personality. Well, we had to wear a tie to the games. Well, he wears an all-white <laughs> suit, like he's Miami Vice. I mean, just <laughs> he's the funniest dude. So so he's gotten dressed, and we're sitting in the locker room after the game, and Coach is, is really upset, and he always wanted to Coke before the game. He wouldn't drink at all, and he'd always put it in the locker. Well, after the game, he gets this Coke, and he's yelling at us and screaming at us. He gets this Coke and just throws it and it goes all over joe's white suit that he had oh man and we and you can't say anything when that's sure. happening right you know i mean you right. just got to take it and I'm, i put my head down because i really want to laugh really hard right and joe just joe doesn't look any other way just looks right at coach and after that though we we gave him such a hard oh. time he was crushed he had a yeah white suit with a pink tie i mean he was decked out he oh. was he was now excited. you got to go back out there you got <laughs> right. coke all over you. <laughs> so from miami you go on to uh you had two stints at duquesne you also had a year at south florida um but you also between your two stints at duquesne where ron everhart was the head coach right you were named head coach at Centenary, and I don't know, I don't know if this has happened to anybody since. But talk about your stint at Centenary and the circumstances there. It was and it you was, were head coach. Yeah, I was a head coach there, the smallest Division One school in the country. Had about twelve. Centenary, Centenary's in Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah. And, and the, the home of the Chief Robert Parrish. Yeah, uh-huh. right. Yeah. yeah, as soon as I get, I, I get there. I walk into the office and they've got his jersey up and they've got a, like a plaque on the bottom uh, that uh, you know has his name. Well, I look at it and I'm going, I think this is spelled wrong. So I should have known that I should have known then that there might be some problems because they had the Chiefs' name spelled wrong. 
but it was a it was to this day it was a difficult situation but it was one that that taught me an awful lot to be honest taught me you so know. you're saying so you're saying that you should have checked out the uh, ACT scores. <laughs> oh yes, I I mean I didn't I didn't really you just so you know I thought this I thought previous coaches there Billy Kennedy uh, Coach Johnson they had won there so I thought if they've won there and I talked to Billy about it and he felt like you could. So that's why, you know, whenever you want to be a head coach, you got to figure out, okay, is it somewhere where you can win? Right. Uh, so I felt like, you know, you could do that, and it wasn't a great – there's a reason why the job was open. It wasn't because he took another better job. It's because he got fired. So there had to be some things to be changed there. Uh, so I was excited to be able to get that opportunity and to, you know – run your own program. Right. I think a lot of people in this but I think that's what you want to do in my opinion. Well, I think 90 probably 90% of assistant coaches in college basketball <clears throat> are working to become a head coach. I mean, that's just the goal and it's it's why every year you see so much movement among the coaching ranks is because you want a chance to be able to run your own shop. I mean, I I don't know how many of our fans realize in any staff in in any program in the country there's not a hundred percent agreement all the time in philosophies, and right. really, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> I would never have known that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, the head coach, you know, says what goes down, and uh, there's oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of ways to get things done, and a lot of times assistants have different ways of trying to get that get that accomplished, and uh, so it just, you know, it creates an atmosphere. You, you want your own shop. You want to be able to run and do things the way you want. So I could completely see how that, how exciting that would be to finally get that opportunity. Yeah, and, and I was really young and dumb at the time because I I go down there and, and interview, and it happens pretty fast, and my wife, you know, I call her and I said, hey, I, they're going to offer me this job. And she goes, what? She, you know, because she just didn't, she didn't know you know, the kind of the circumstances. She knew I was going down. She thought it'd be great for me to be a head coach, but you know, she probably didn't. Well, this probably won't happen. Right. Well, I call her and tell her, say, "Hey, this is going to happen." So, I need to give them an answer in about you know, I'm going back in the president's office here in about 30 minutes. And she goes, "Well, let's take it." I said, "I'm with you. Let's do it." So I end up taking it. I I didn't ask anything about APR issues. I didn't ask a whole lot of questions, and and that was when I say I was young and dumb. That's probably what I was because when they end up taking the job, um, they, young uh, and hopeful, G. Yeah, okay, there <laughs> you go, full, yeah. full of hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so in the facilities, I felt like there's a lot of things that could be upgraded. So my first year, and when you're at a school like sitting there, you got to go play by games. Yeah, um, and so from a standpoint of, uh, and again, it to me it did not matter what level. It really didn't. I, I thought you could win there, so that's why I took the job. So I ended up raising a lot of money to be able to get us a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and and we had a weight room, but it was literally like like you would go to a rehab facility where they had the old let blue leather, like Nautilus equipment. I mean, it was awful. So I figured let's raise some money. The space is there, and we can go get some good equipment and and uh, just upgrade all this stuff. I went in the locker room, and it was it was nice size, but it was old. It just needed to be cosmetically done. So mm-hmm. I end up, I, mean, I was excited about that because I could see the improvement. Um, and then I go to the AD, and I'd say, hey, can we get some 
some uh, stuff to be able some paint. Can we get somebody in here to paint and to do some logos and just he was yeah no problem. So it took about a month or two and still nothing was happening. So I ended up saying, okay, that's fine. I went out and bought the paint myself. We what we bought the <laughs> we bought the border, and I had my wife, my kids. We painted the stools. We put the logo on the top. Uh, we did it all ourselves. And and just because we wanted it, I wanted it done immediately, so that I could show those guys, hey, th- this is going to be different. Yeah, you know right, what I mean. Right, right. We went out and you know we. They, we got about $400,000 of buy games. So that means you're getting your brains beat in. Yeah, yeah. And that first year, my first home game wasn't until January 15th. <laughs> I mean, it was brutal. But I but I felt like the first year, we're going to struggle anyway. Yeah. So let's go make these improvements. Yeah. And then, you know, they'll be able to see Coach does care about us, even though we're getting beat. That's the way I thought. Because I felt like I've been in their shoes. So I went out and got a contract with Nike which was, you know, they had Adidas at the time and Nike. They just, they were excited about it. You know, right. they used to eat at McDonald's on the road. I raised money. What they where do, we what, could, they do what they do, uh, what Nike do give you like three sets of uh, sneakers. <laughs> yeah. We got a few more than that. We, I ended up getting a contract with Nike. And at the time I went and played Marquette who gave me 50 K. Then they gave me 25 oh, K worth of Nike allotment that I could use anywhere Ooh. I wanted. Oh, there you go. And, that was a good contract. Yeah, and yeah. 25K to go towards a foreign tour oh. because they'd never been out of the country, so I wanted to do that for them. Yeah. So those are the things that I did, and then uh, I was excited about all that and because I, I was going to – I wanted them to believe in what we were doing, and I was going to work them hard, so you got to be able to repay them. Sure. They, so, so after that first year, we went, I think, six or seven games um, and uh, – had a good recruiting class, good one of the best players coming back in the league, defensive player of the year, point guard, really good. Uh, had some good pieces to fill. So then in July of that, after that first year, new president comes in, they have an emergency board meeting, and they decide to declassify the school and athletic program and go from D1 to D3. And at oh, that wow. at that time – when you declassify and you make it public, guys can transfer and play right away, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. So I met with all of them and said, hey, guys, this is not what you, I signed up for, not what you signed up for. If I can help you in any way, get somewhere else where you want to go, let, let's do it. I said, because this is not fair to you guys. So we had I had about five guys transfer uh, out. And then the next year, I ended up staying one more year, and we still had to play a Division One schedule, even though we declassified. <laughs> With some, it was a difficult situation. But so then after that second year, uh, I, I said I, I got to get out of here because again, it didn't matter the uh, the level in my opinion, right? Because I liked Shreveport, I liked the school, but the de-emphasizing of athletics is what what to me made the made the reason to leave. Well, and kind of unheard of now. I mean, everybody's trying to go D one. Nobody. I mean, that's I don't know if I remember a team that's gone. That might be the last team that I can think of that's gone the other direction. Everybody's trying to get the D1 to get some of that NCAA what money. What year was that? That was, oh, so then I went to Duquesne, oh, nine, oh, ten. So it was, oh, eight. And oh, yeah. uh, we even had a, we have a, we had a big booster, a big oil and gas guy that uh, went to the, went to the president and said, hey, here's this amount of money to sustain the athletic department for the next three years. Let's hold tight. We were in the Summit League, which is a brutal conference right. to, tra- to travel in. I mean, we spent travel, so much yeah. money travel-wise. But he said there's going to be some 
some movement in these conferences. So we were trying to get into the Southland. This guy had already talked to a lot of ADs, so he he yeah. he wanted it to stay. They end up declining that money and not doing it. Wow. Which to me that made me realize right then. Yeah. They weren't about you know being staying Division One. So what you, are they now? What are they now? They're still they, Division Three. Huh. And there's enrollment's gone down. They thought enrollment would go up by doing that, and that that was a decision they thought was best for them at the time. But yeah, they're still Division Three. So you you leave uh, Centenary and, and go back to Duquesne, uh, and then um, are there, uh, I guess, another year, and yeah. then get a phone call from Coach Painter, and uh, and now growing up, did you have an allegiance to anybody in the state? Did you have a state school that you pulled for? I did. Yeah, I pulled for IU. Yeah, I mean, I, not not a surprise. I mean, most people in the state did. So right, right. Um, yeah, my co- my high one of my high school coaches. We did everything that that Coach Knight did. I mean, we had the we had the red notebooks. We had, I mean, everything was ran like his program. Yeah, and so that's what you grew up with. You had a lot. Hey, I'm telling you, when I was doing some high school ball when I first got to Lafayette. This is the late '70s, and you, I can't tell you how many uh, Bob Knight clones you'd run into. <laughs> right. In, in the course of a season. I mean, you might do, you know, I might do 25, 30 high school games, and I saw 25 Bob Knight clones. I mean, it was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, to the point even how they argued. Yeah. It was uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, everybody in the state, if they were a high school coach, they wanted to be like Coach Knight. Yeah, there's a lot, lot, of, lot of truth to that, and a lot of that's one of the reasons uh, it's always been – a little uh, hard recruiting here is that and and back in the in those days i think the high school coach had a lot more influence over players than they do now yeah but you had those high school coaches in those kids ears saying oh come on you got a chance to go play for night i mean what are you doing you can't go to purdue and so it kind of makes you respect all the work that coach katie did even more oh, yeah knowing what oh, he yeah. had overcome yeah. so well uh, coach katie when he when he came on the scene, Coach Katie, you could tell in about the first week he wasn't going to put up a pop night. Right. And, and and that's how it started, and that's the way it ended. Yep. I mean, it was amazing. It was 25 years of, I'll go after you, man. And and both of them have tremendous respect for each other now to this day. But uh, And it came out to be one of the greatest uh, coaching uh you know, rivalries in the history of the game and, and remains to be so. And, uh, golly, it was unbelievable. But, man, I'm telling you, I, I can tell you because I remember when Coach Katie came here. And, I mean, second week, man, if Knight's name was brought up, ah! <laughs> that would get old. I could see where that would get old. So did you have a relationship with Coach Painter? Uh, Before we, this, we grew up about 15 minutes away from each other. Played against each other in high school. Um, it wasn't a situation where we we talked, you know, monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, it had mutual friends that end up uh, kind of hooking us back up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, I, I was excited just because I I'd not been, you know, back home in the Midwest. Pittsburgh's right. not considered mis- Midwest in my opinion. Um, and so being able to get back here was was uh, absolutely huge. And, and being here, I've, I've realized, you know, boy, the basketball is it's a, it's at a different level just as far as the interest. And and uh, I was no, very fortunate no. to be able. You don't think, Larry? 
<laughs> I'm, I'm okay. Okay, I, I I made a mistake by saying no. I, <laughs> no I, was, I was saying something to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the uh, perils of phoning you in well, from she, Florida. Well, well, she just started to eat the carpet, and I was uh, seeing half the carpet <laughs> being disappeared, and I said, "Quit." That's all. No. It, it was it was interesting. I forgot that I was on the phone. Yeah, it was interesting. The the when I come on the interview. Um, Coach Painter is, uh, we, we go and have dinner and, and, you know, see the facilities and all that kind of stuff. And I would, first, he is a brilliant, brilliant basketball mind, unbelievable, unselfish person. Um, everything everybody says about him is absolutely true. Uh, but I noticed his brilliant, I mean, his memory is unbelievable. We're sitting there having dinner and, uh, he talks, we're talking about our high school days and, and, uh, him back in Delta. And he said that we, they lost to Highland three times in a row, and they finally beat him. I was a year older than he is, so I graduated in his senior year. They ended up beating Highland. But he he told me, he goes, I think it was your junior year, he goes, you were, you beat us. You were five for eight from the field, and you hit two free throws late to beat us. So I'm like, I, I didn't have any recollection of that. I was like, <laughs> how does he remember this? Yeah. So I, so I go back after the interview, I, I head home to Anderson and, stay a couple of days with my mom and dad and my mom like probably most moms she kept all the articles sure, yeah and so i go do you have any where, where is that stuff so she open, she gets it for me and i go through it spend a couple hours going through it and i find the article in that game i just wanted to see if he was right so i look i go and look at the box score i was five for eight <laughs> and and i read the article and i did hit two free throws late I, I was like that that's unbelievable that he remembers that yeah that's pretty. oh no that i mean but being around him eight years now it's not unbelievable that's oh just no i mean yeah i i can go i can mention some obscure major league player from 1947 and he'll he'll come up with uh and i'll say something and he'll say no i don't think so so what do you mean i know i mean i i mean i know i'm i guarantee you that was the case no don't think so and then and then i go to look it up and he's he's right on it every time i mean it's it's embarrassing so, <laughs> yeah. so you shouldn't even you shouldn't even question it. no no not at all well yeah baseball and basketball he's got those Lockdown, amazing, oh, amazing. Now, uh, we as we're taping this, it's it's right around the start of practice. In fact, our first practice was yesterday. Um, you know, we've we've done a lot over the eight years uh, that you've been here, coming off a thirty-win season. Um, but I really feel, and I've said this before publicly, and I feel like um, kind of the best is yet to come with our program. And um, it's amazing, recruiting's going well, and. There's just a lot of energy now at Purdue. Um, it, it just feels to me like an exciting time to be at Purdue, but also this time of year, too, with basketball starting up, and we've kind of got a more of an unknown team, but I think there's just as much excitement as there's ever been. Without question, and, and you got to watch yourself because you, when you're out there talking to people and they say, well, you are you guys going to be any good? You, know, you lost four guys, and right. so you got to be diplomatic about it. Yeah, but yeah. deep down, I really want to sh- – you know yeah i won't stick it to them. yeah stick it to them and so <laughs> i think our guys will get that too um and i know we're only one practice in and we've had some practices during the summer but i am super excited about this team because we have a lot of talent 
Um, and then like, like paint said the other day, it's our job to get them, you know, to, at the level that we need them to, and they're great kids and we have some really, really good talent. So I'm excited about it because I, you're, you're right, Bloom. Uh, the best is yet to come in my opinion, because we've got some really good pieces. Well, and I like the fact that we have such good kids, and I think the more our fans get to know them, they're going to fall in love with these guys, just like the heralded class that just graduated in May. I think uh, we've got those same kind of – a lot of these guys have the same kind of qualities and those those guys, and uh, it's it'll be exciting to see our fans get I to wonder, know them more. I will, I will present a question, though. I'd like to know when our program is going to get to the point where we have – really good seasons like we've had the last three or four years and then all of a sudden because we lose four seniors uh we're going to go from uh either big 10 champions or runner-up to uh 9th or 10th or 13th or 14th in the league it just seems that that's the normal situation we lose x number of people and then we don't have people to take their place. Heck, we bring back a uh, first-team All-American uh, guard. Right. I mean, right. How, how, how many how, how many teams how many teams in the Big Ten do that? Ethan Happ at Wisconsin. He's the only one. I mean, come on. It's, it's just like, give us some credit, please. I mean, and, and of course, we know it. I mean, we know how good we can be. And really, when it comes down to teams and talent, Usually, if you have good talent on hand, it's just a it's just uh, usually a chemistry issue. You know, how do you blend the talents together, and how how will they handle it? We have a tough schedule, but heck, I I think by February or March we'd be a pretty good team, my opinion, just based on who we have. Yeah, and I and the league this year is wide open compared to maybe some other years. You know, last year I think Michigan State was an overwhelming favorite. Uh, ended up winning the league, but I mean, we were obviously we're right there. Um, I think this year's a little bit more up in the air. I mean, still Michigan State is probably the team that most people are picking to win the league. But you look everywhere else uh, and the different preseason polls, people have us anywhere from two to ninth, and yeah. they have a lot of people in different situations. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the league shakes out with a lot of uh, a lot of parity. Uh, compared yeah, to some previous so. years, yeah, yeah, you might, you might, uh, you might, you might have four or five league losses. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. in this thing with twenty games now. So yeah, and the imbalanced uh, schedule always throws a you know a little twist to it as well. Yeah. Well, it's time for the final four here on the podcast with assistant coach Greg Gary and uh, the four questions we ask all of our guests, coach. So here's your first one: What is your go-to music of choice? Boy, it depends on the mood I'm in. To be honest with you, it depends if it's if I'm going to the game or if I'm driving home from work or if I'm on the road recruiting. Um, boy, I I mean, ACDC is a, a favorite of mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I used to uh, before every game in high school, we used to play in the locker room. Yeah, no. I'm with you on that one. That gets you going for uh, for games. Yeah, yeah, that that'll get you going. Uh, Biggie, that's an that's another one that I that I enjoy. Um, and country, um, Garth Brooks. Uh, really, I mean, there, there's a number of country guys that that uh, especially new coming up. That uh, Eric Church is phenomenal to me. So it really just depends on kind of what mood I'm in. Pretty diverse. Uh, selection, but that's what it depends on. I can get behind that ACDC. I saw them once live, and it was a in pretty incredible uh, concert. Okay, question two on the final four here with assistant coach Greg Gary is, what is your favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? 
Uh, the Phil Knight book I read recently. I know it's been out of way at What's time. That? Was that Shoe Dog? Or, yeah, Shoe Dog. Yep, yeah. yep. That was uh, to me just uh, again. I've always been pretty much with Nike, so I kind of wanted to just read about the background and where he came from and how it started. And it's an unbelievable book to figure, you know, to see right. what what he did with it. I mean, it's just it's uh, it, it's perseverance and just like any business successful business person, you got to have that. And so I I was. Uh, I enjoyed reading that one. Well, Nike has been in the news so long. I'm reading a book that uh, Coach Painter gave me uh, recently. He read it, and then I'm reading it now on Tiger Woods. And it's there's a bunch of Phil Knight mentions in there of all Tiger's dealings with Nike, and you just forget. I mean, they explode on the scene, and then they explode in the golf world, and now they're doing NFL stuff, and now most recently Colin Kaepernick stuff. I mean, Nike has just been relevant for so long. That would... Uh, that would definitely and that all started. That all started with uh, with uh, with the uh, Oregon uh, track team, right? I mean, that's how that all started. Uh, Correct. Uh, he uh, got associated with the coach at uh, at Oregon, and and they came up with a shoe, and uh, that's how it all started. But an incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Well, the national championships in track are in Eugene. I think every four out of five years, they have an unbelievable track facility up there. I mean that. Nike money has certainly transformed uh, Oregon uh, in that campus and the athletic department. Question three here on the final four. If you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would it be? You're going to think I'm crazy. Be a farmer. Really? Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we've had anybody say that yet, Larry. No, no, I don't think so. How many? 48 of them? Nope. <laughs> not, one, not one guy, Greg, wanted to be a... Uh, farmer <laughs> i won i grew up my dad we raised cattle and 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 farmed corn soybeans hay i mean it was it was hard work but man i wish my kids could go through that too just because i i one i enjoy being outside but i just enjoyed it no days off yeah no no days off no days off and this is well, obviously not in the winter time not in the winter time you guys don't hang out at the local diner and a have little, coffee a and... little bit yeah i guess you're right a little bit fortunately my dad and even my mom my mom was she used to drive the tractor too and she would be a nervous wreck funny story real quick it was i was maybe 10 years old and my dad puts me on the tractor and the corn is already planted and it's up it's past july it's above knee high but at that time, and I don't know what they do now, but we, I would, I ran the cultivator, which in between the rows of corn, you drag that thing in between it, and it digs out the weeds. Yeah. Well, first time I get on, and my dad is standing behind me in the cornfield, and he shows me how to get it going and everything. So, I let off the the brake and and give the gas, and so I'm taking off, and uh, you know I'm nervous wreck with both hands on the wheel. Well, I turn around just to make sure that I'm doing it right and look back at my dad. Well, when I turn around, my arm takes the steering wheel and turns it to the right as well. Yeah. yeah. So now I've taken out about 20 feet of four rows of corn. And my dad's yelling at me to stop, stop, stop. So I, I, that was not a good experience the first time I had uh, cultivating. But, yeah, that was that was. If uh, that would be my my dream, to be honest with you, yeah, that'd be very cool. Okay, final question here on the final four for Greg Gary is: What is one thing that nobody or not many people know about you? Hmm. Well, that's a hard one. Hmm. 
probably uh i don't know if this is going to say probably miss my dad the most um you know you don't always talk about it but he passed away three years ago of cancer and um that's something that uh, you know you don't talk a lot about but right it's something that uh, in my opinion i'd you know moving back here things happen for a reason he was able to see uh see me get back to purdue and see uh you know come to a few games so i think you know things happen for a reason and that would be something that uh you know probably a lot of people don't know is i miss him uh awful lot well and it's it was uh for him to be able to be around your family you have a large family and just to like you said be able to come back and experience all those uh have all those moments and times with him that's uh that's uh, got to be a, kind of a rewarding as you look back on it. Um, you weren't in Pittsburgh or Miami or New Orleans right. or somewhere like that. So Right. On a lighter note, probably nobody knows I watch Bachelorette as much as I can because I've got, <laughs> I've, got I've got a bunch of girls at the house. And it's kind of inevitable that when I come home on Mondays, uh, they're watching Bachelor or Bachelorette or something like that. So it's that, that, that's always entertaining. Sometimes I stay and watch some of it and other times i go downstairs and and, <laughs> I, and get out of that i struggle with that because some people i respect highly on twitter are always talking about the bachelor i'm like what are you doing but <laughs> i guess if you have people in the house that want to watch it i can understand that oh. so well that will do it for episode 48 here on the boiler ball podcast and like to thank everybody for listening Appreciate all the uh, listeners we have out there. And again, if you have any comments or feedback on the podcast, be sure and drop us a line at boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. That'll do it here, episode 48. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. (laughs) 